This is the Photo Experiment Podcast, brought to you by PhotoBiz X. Today's guest is Italian portrait photographer and teacher based in the north of Italy, Sarah Lando. She says there are a few things she wouldn't do to get the photo she has in mind. She shoots portraits, cardboard cutouts, and commercial work, and her portfolio is both stunning and varied. She says she's scared of people, yet she's contested a shoot-off against Zacharias in front of a huge crowd. I'm looking forward to learning more about Sarah, her creativity, and what makes her tick. Before I welcome her to the show, I just want to let you know this episode is sponsored by The Image Salon, the custom editing company that will free up your time and give your photos the look you're after. I'll tell you a little bit more about them later in the show. Sarah, welcome. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for having me. (laughs) (laughs) It's my pleasure. Now, you warned me before I brought you onto the show that there could be a few swear words flying today. Is that right? Yeah, I will try not to swear too much, but the problem is I learn English from stand-up comedians for the most part. So, I mean, George Carlin has been a big part of my education. I will try to keep it as clean as possible. (laughs) Not a problem. Now, where are you racing off to after this interview? I will have to go to the airport because I will fly to Dublin to shoot some CEO headshots, like boring stuff, but it pays the bill, so... And it's Dublin, so there's going to be a lot of Guinness in the process, I guess. Drinking and swearing and comedy. I love it. This is going to be fantastic. (laughs) Well, it's photography. It's better than a real job. (laughs) So tell me, is photography, does it feel like a job for you? It does at times. I mean, it's an amazing job and it's fun and I would not do anything else in the world. But you have to be aware of the fact that you're running a business at the same time. I mean, from the outside, it looks like it's just fun and pretty pictures, but... There's all the business part of photography that you have to take care of if you want to actually earn money from it. So how much of your time is dedicated to personal work, to projects, and how much is going towards actually running the business? Well, I guess it depends on time of the year or time of the week. Actually, I book myself for personal projects because that's the only way I actually find time to make them. So I will you know, book myself on a Friday. And if a client calls and wants to have me for that Friday, I will say that I'm booked and I will find another day. Really? And you will stick to that? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there's this part about photographers. We kind of are a delusional bunch of people. So I actually do believe that I'm important and I deserve my time. Yeah, yeah. But as a working photographer, look, I could see myself booking out time for personal projects. But then when the phone rings, particularly my wife who looks after the studio, she takes the call. She's going to say, Andrew, look, can you do your personal stuff next week? Let's push it back a few days and take this job while it's here. The problem, though, is that most of the jobs I get, I'm booked off of my personal work. Like people look at my personal stuff. They love it. They hire me to do like boring stuff that any trained monkey would be able to do, but they pay me for that. But unless I shoot those personal projects, I don't have great stuff to show most of the time. So I feel it like it's part of the job. If these clients, they're seeing your personal work, you know, and I look at your portfolio, I mean, I don't see headshot style images in your portfolio. Aren't people asking for that style of shot then when you go to shoot these these commercial jobs? Yeah, I don't know. It's weird sometimes. Well, some people, they actually hire me to shoot the stuff I shoot, but sometimes they just need photos, like normal photos that any company would need. 
And they like my style. They like the fact that I deliver. I've never missed a deadline in my whole career. And they assume that I'm able to shoot that kind of photos, which is obvious. I mean, if you're a photographer, there's nothing technically difficult about shooting a headshot. You're supposed to do that. It's part of your job. So, of course, I'll do it if you pay me my fee. I will shoot anything for the right fee. So this company that's taking you to Dublin, yeah. why have they chosen you? I mean, surely there's photographers in Ireland, in Dublin, that could do something similar. Yeah, well, we have been working for them for a long time since they were a smaller company. And I have a company with my husband who is a graphic designer and web designer. And they actually come from that side of the company. And then they needed photo and we do that as well. So... Okay, so the company that you have with your husband, they've hired them and you come as part of that as a package? Yeah, usually like we were two companies before and we had to kind of merge our two companies because clients were all the time assuming we already were one big company. And so at the end we gave in and created Paper Moustache. So that's how we decided to work together, which was, was a harder decision than getting married, in my opinion. What, combining the two businesses? Yeah. Why was that so difficult? Because then, like, you work together every day, all day. And then I was kind of wary of that because it could be really explosive really fast. I mean, I'm very opinionated and I I really love my husband. So I wanted him to stay my husband for a long time. (laughs) But apparently we work together really, really well. So that was a good choice for us. Well, you know, I had a look at the Paper Moustache website before I got online here. And on the about page, there's no photo of you. There's no mention of you. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think I'm transitioning from commercial photography in a way. So I do it. I do it all the time. But I'm trying to find out if there's a way to do less of that kind of work and do more of the kind of work that I usually do. And so the first thing you do is stop selling yourself as that kind of photographer all the time. Uh So you were on the website and you've taken yourself off. Well, it's not, I'm not completely off. I had a look on the about page. I can only see mention of the two guys. Really? Wait, let me check that. There you got me checking. Yeah, of course. Well, I'm on the homepage. Like my mug is on the homepage. Is it papermustache.com? Yeah. Yeah, right. Where? On the homepage, sorry. I'm oh, looking come at on. Yeah, no, there's, I'm there. <laughs> what okay. website were you looking at? I am. I'm on papermustache.com. I'm just changing pages now. I was on the blog, but I had a look on the about page and I, I just saw mention of the two. Oh, there you are. Okay. Like, if, you say, if you look at what we do, like it actually says like we are a couple before we are a company and we are a team before we are a couple. And there's a photo of the boat of us. Yeah, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I'm there. <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. You're there. <laughs> So is the plan then to move away from that and take yourself out of that business and just do the jobs that you need to do so you can focus on what you want to? Yeah, not out completely. I mean, I'm still super grateful for commercial jobs because those are the jobs that allow me to do whatever I want in the rest of my time and sometimes work for free for a good cause if I want to because I can afford to. But what I'm trying to do is to take bigger jobs that take less time so that I'm free to do whatever I feel like doing. Let's say I'm trying to work smarter rather than work more. 
Okay, so if you have this spare time, if you've got these clients, you know, or these jobs that are going to take a little bit of time and they're going to pay well, what are you going to be doing with your spare time? What do you love to shoot? Well, what I love to do is mixed media work or something that's more conceptual and on the, I guess, art side of photography. I like, well, works like Magpies that I've done on my free time. I basically decided not to work for three months just to be able to finish that. That's been a great thing for me. And it opened up a lot of other amazing jobs. Like I ended up teaching in Dubai basically because of that. Tell me about these magpies. How did that even start? Like what was the first concept? Well, it started as a Christmas present for my husband. Like every Christmas we have a budget of 30 euros for Christmas gifts to each other. And we have to prove that with receipts. Like, so there's a lot of, you know, trying to find a way to make it work and to I mean, do it yourself or, you know, create something that's not store-bought. And so I wrote a story in seven chapters, and that was Magpies. And I decided that I wanted to illustrate that, and I couldn't find the right way to do it. And luckily or unluckily, like, I hurt my shoulders. So for a while, I wasn't able to work as much as I usually do. And I was becoming crazy because if I don't take pictures, I'm not a nice person. And so my husband suggested that I might want to find a way to take pictures in the meanwhile. <laughs> so we moved, we sold the car, moved to Los Angeles for three months. And I basically spent every waking hour working on magpies. And this was the Christmas gift? Yep. And then... So hang on, <laughs> 30 euro, but you spent three months working on it. Yeah. <laughs> but... I have receipts. It was just cardboard and time. Time is not part of the... I don't invoice for that, so... Fair enough. So you, you have this concept, and is the finished product, are you envisioning that as a book or as a video? It became a book. So what happened is that I made a graphic novel. It's like 168 pages long graphic novel. And at first, it was just a PDF that I put online for free in iRes with no restrictions. And people could buy it or get it for free. They would decide the price. What surprised me is that people actually spent money on it, which is amazing. Like, and some people actually downloaded it free the first time and then downloaded it again, giving me money for it, which is something amazing. And then they started to write me asking, you know, when is the printed version coming out? And I was like, never, like I have no intention of doing that. But then I decided to crowdfund it. Like, so I didn't have the money to do that myself, to invest in that kind of work, to have it the way I wanted. And a couple of publishers contacted me, but one wanted to do like a traditional graphic novel, like on cheap paper with a terrible binding and I didn't want to do that and another one wanted to do like a very exquisite really nice art book but then it would be priced as an art book and I didn't want that either because I mean it's a graphic novel so I decided to do that myself and I asked for $20,000 and I ended up raising $32,000. Wow fantastic. That was awesome yeah and I made (laughs) a thousand copies of it and it's been super cool. So how many do you have left? I think I have a couple of hundred. I basically never worked on marketing this stuff. Like it was already paid for the moment I printed it. Sure, because of the crowdfunding. Yeah. 
So it's basically there and like every couple of days someone buys a copy and then I just ship it to them and that's it. Beautiful. Okay, so this is still available now. If the listener wants to grab a copy of this book, we can. Yeah, there's still a bunch of copies, yes. Not many. Fantastic. So this whole concept, so I mean, what I guess I really want to know is how was the concept born? Like, did you write the novel first or the story first? I did, yes. I think it stemmed from the fact that for the very first time in a very long time, I was happy and that scared me, like completely scared the shit out of me because I had stuff to lose. So it's the story of two characters. There's one in the even chapters and one in the odd chapters. And it's about basically loss and identity, which is a big part of my work anyway. Like I'm fascinating by the concept of identity of like what makes you you like how can you say that you are real how can you say that you are the same person you were a year ago okay i've got so many questions now because you've just opened up a big door yeah so why were you happy now for the first time in a long time what happened to make you happy or what was going on that you were so sad well i guess it goes back a long time ago i mean i started taken photos because of anxiety attacks. Like I suffered from severe anxiety attacks for a long time. And for some reason, photography, like the actual process of taking photos and having to figure out exposure and all this stuff helped me manage that. And so for a while, I would take photos without telling people because it was like my little dirty secrets and it would help me cope with that. So I started with self-portraits in a way. And then after a while, I started showing those photos, like it was in the early 2000s, on a live journal that I had that was kind of secret, like none of my friends knew about it. But people on the internet started, you know, looking at photos and giving me feedback. And I basically learned everything I know about photography. I learned that from those people, like online. And after a while, it became a hobby, and then it became a job. And on that time, a lot of stuff happened, like in my personal life and in my professional life. I was like really not happy. And then I met Ale, which is now my, my husband, it has been since 2008. And I realized that it didn't have to be that way. He's always been my biggest supporter. And I always say like, He's the mentally stable part of our couple. And that, that has helped me a lot in not freaking myself out too much and realizing that I can go through a lot if I have my foundation built. Mm-hmm. Was Magpies, was that your first big project? I would probably say it is. Like on that scale, absolutely, yeah. After your self-portrait series, then you did a few smaller projects and then Magpies came about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, at that point, I was already working as a professional photographer and I was trying to find a balance between, you know, the photos you do for clients and the stuff that keeps you mentally sane. Because the thing about I love commercial photography, but sometimes you feel like it's never completely yours because you have to fulfill someone else's vision most of the time, which is absolutely what you have to do if you want to be a good commercial photographer. It's not about, you know, ego and always having your way with things. Mm -hmm. So what if I come to you and I say, I want to commission you for a portrait? Yeah. 
but I want you to express yourself. I want you to explore identity and loss and those sort of things that get you buzzing when you take my photo. Yeah, absolutely. Is that something that would interest you? You would get excited about that? It's probably where I'm going right now at the moment. I'm starting to have these kind of commission jobs that are more interesting for me. And they're also in a way more expensive because it takes way much more time than like taking someone's photo and having like a decent portrait of them. It might take a couple of hours at the most. I can do a decent job in half an hour if I have to. It's going to be a photo that you're going to like and put on Facebook and be happy with. But it's not going to be as true, I think, than the kind of work that I do when I have the time to meet someone and know them in a way and then translate what I see into photography. And a lot of what I do also takes part like after I take photos because then I print them and use mixed media techniques to make something that's still a photograph because then I photograph that piece at the end. But it's going to be something a little more complex and complicated. Okay, I'm going to get you to talk about the mixed media thing in just a second. But let's say you have this concept or this idea and you want to explore identity. Yeah. And I come to you for this job, for this shoot. Is that something that's going to get you excited or are you going to be looking for the right subject to fit your project? Or can you take any subject and make that work? Yeah, that's something I learned in the last few years. I don't think there is a single person on this planet that's not interesting or photogenic. Like... If you think about it, photography is in a way telling that something is worthy of being remembered. And I don't think that some things are more worthy, some people are more worthy than others. It's not about, I mean, unless it's I'm telling my own story and then I might cast for a specific kind of person that I have in mind. But if I'm taking someone else's photo and it's their story, I mean, every story can be interesting. It's about learning how to narrate it. And I'm a big proponent of thinking of photography as a form of language. It makes so much more sense if you think about it. Like I speak Italian, English, a little bit of French and photography. And there's a grammar, but then there's stuff you need to say. And then there's people you need to say that stuff to. And that changes the way you use the language. Can you give me an example of that? Well, yeah. For example, like I feel like even this whole idea of style that photographers seem to be really adamant about, like it's my style, it's my voice. You wouldn't talk the same way to your grandmother or to your lover unless you have like a really boring sex life or a really good <laughs> one. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> so I, the same way when you're taking someone's photo, like you have to be aware of who you're talking to and what you're trying to say. And that's going to decide the kind of format you use. If you're shooting black and white or color, the kind of lens you're using, like, do you want it to be like super sharp or do you want it to be more out of focus? Or are you trying to do something that's really simple and graphic? Or are you trying to do something that's super complicated and complex? And there's a lot of stuff going on. It's like different tone that you have in what you're saying. And it's still your voice, but you have to adapt it to what you're trying to say and the people you're talking to. Okay, I get that. I understand what you're saying there. Let's say that you have it clear in your head, in your mind, and you're going to express yourself 
you know, in a particular format and using your language with photography, what's to say the viewer is going to see it the same way? Well, how are you sure that people are going to understand you when you speak? It's like there's always room for misunderstanding. There's always room. And not everybody is going to get you. Well, but at the same time, if you are really clear about who you're trying to speak to, you should only be interested in speaking to them specifically. And what I found is that the more specific you become in these, the more universal it becomes. If you try to speak to everybody, it's just boring. Okay, so who are you talking to with your photography? I have a piece of paper in my wallet at all times with eight names. Those are my people. And it's like, for me, it became super important when it comes to critique. Because, of course, when you put your work out there and there are a lot of people looking at it and having opinions about it, it can be at first, when you're starting out, you realize that you're behaving like a dog. Like, if people like something, then you, you do more of that. And if they don't react to something you do, you make less of that, which is completely stupid because most of the time people react to, you know, boobs, sunsets, and kittens. So, <laughs> so what I do is that whenever something, uh, I get a feedback that might be hurtful, well, first of all, I still take time to understand if it's something that's, that's true because it's helpful. But then I look at my piece of paper and if that person is not one of my eight people, I don't have to change who I am. I can just read it as a critique and it's not gonna impact on how I feel about myself. But if something negative is said to me about what I'm doing or how I'm behaving by one of those eight people, I know I have to question what I'm doing. How did you choose these eight names or these eight people in your wallet? They are my tribe. Like they are people who are extremely sincere in what they say me. Like they are not afraid to throw shit in my general direction. They keep me on my toes. But at the same time, it comes from a place of love rather than spite. They are on my side. They want me to do well. And they have shown that over and over during my, my life. Okay, can I take a guess and suggest that one of those names is your husband? He's the first one, of course. <laughs> okay. So did you say it's Alan? Ale, Alessandro. Oh, Alessandro. So let's say you get some good feedback from seven of those names and Alessandro says, I really don't like this, Sarah. I don't know where it's you're gone. going with this. Oh, really? It's gone, yeah. Okay, what about if it's one of the other eight? Well, then it depends on, I mean, I guess it also depends on what I'm doing. Like some of these people, for example, don't understand shit about commercial photography. So, I mean, you have to realize that it's not their job, but they might be amazing when it comes to storytelling. Like one of these names is a professional writer. So, and if it's something about like me as a person, it comes down to who are those people who know me the best and, you know. Right, so if you finish a piece of work or a project, as you're working through the project, do you send these people updates? Do you give them a glimpse into what you're doing or do you even discuss the concept? Yeah, sometimes. Okay, so you're looking for feedback all the way along. On some projects, yes. I usually get to a point when I'm comfortable showing people the work in progress. I believe that some projects are like plants in a way, sprouts, and then you have to, like there's 
a moment when there is the seed and it's like in a dark place and it's just there and nobody sees it. And then you have to keep it like that. If you keep like digging through the soil to expose the seed, it's not going to grow. And then you have like, if it's just sprouting, you kind of protect it a little bit. And then when it's big enough to, you know, to be alive after it's shown to people, then I show that to people. So is there any danger then of you, I guess, you know, not following through with what your true vision is for the project if you bring these other people in and they suggest they don't like it? Not really. I mean, I'm, again, it comes back to being like delusional and stubborn. And I've always been like, I do what I want to do at all times. But having that kind of feedback, and it's, it's never really happened that way. It's not just like, uh, I don't like it. It's not going to be like that. I selected these eight people because they are amazing. They are way more clever than I am. And they would never say just like, I don't like it. That's not a feedback. That's stupid. So it's probably going to be more like, are you sure about this part of the project? Or why did you do that instead of that other thing? And then by talking through that, I can understand more of how I made some choice and then decide if I want to keep those or go back to the drawing board and start again. Yeah, well, that makes more sense. Can you just talk to us a little bit about the mixed media process that you go through with a lot of your projects? Sure. It's so weird. For the longest time, I haven't shown that to anybody because I thought it was, um, you know, I call that my kindergarten work because I've always been playing with paper since I remember And I've always liked, you know, drawing on stuff and tearing paper and gluing stuff to other stuff. It's just something I do to, I guess, relax in my free time. And I realized that it's probably something, it's a process that's kind of hard to explain, put into words, because a lot of that is just getting to know the material and experimenting and failing until you don't. And then at some point, something nice comes out of it and then you take it too far and then it's gone. <laughs> so, But the thing about a like about mixed media is that it takes the, I guess, industrial part out of photography. Like the fact that photography as a medium is done to be like repeated in a gazillion copies that are going to be identical without any difference. Like if I print a thousand photos there's not going to be many differences in the final products. There's not this feeling of it being special or I like to touch stuff with my hands. Uh, And I like, that's the reason why I print my photos. Like I love to have something that's real. And I think in a way, mixed media piece, it's kind of a conversation between what happened in front of the camera and how I perceived it in a way. It comes back to this idea that photography is, how do you say, tightly knitted to truth, in a way, related to truth. Because, I mean, a painting is seen as an interpretation of the person who painted the piece, right? And photography is as well. But because there's this idea that what you take a photo of happened, I've always felt that I don't know, it's kind of a lie that's dangerous in a way because we all know as photographers that we can absolutely lie 
I mean, it's about what you left out. It's about the kind of light, the kind of lens you use. It's about the pose and, you know, Photoshop and whatever. But with Mixed Media, I kind of take that more out of the equation. Like it goes back to this is how I see things rather than this is how things are. And then I just took a photo of it. Okay. When you say mixed media, you're talking about using one of the photos that you've taken or created and then adding your paper and craft items with the photo and then taking another photo of that. Yeah. Sometimes, for example, lately I've been experimenting a lot with acetate paper, which is like transparencies. And then I might print the photo on a transparency and then superimpose that on my computer monitor and then take a photo of that and then work on top of that. And then, I mean, I will use video and use a frame of the video, print that, work on top of it and then photograph that. I go back several times before I'm happy usually. Okay. So there's layer after layer after layer. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. And I think it's, kind of mimicking the process of how memory works if you think about it like there's something that happens and that's the starting point and then with time you like take away or add stuff that wasn't there in the first place but at the end of the day it's how you remember it like I realized not very long ago that a very precise memory I have in my mind never happened the way I remember it some of the people weren't there that I absolutely sure were you know, someone was wearing something different than I remember. And then I saw the picture. So I, I actually realized that, like, I saw that my memory was wrong. And to me, that's super interesting. That is, that's strange. I think that happens a lot. It does. You mentioned social media a little while ago and, you know, getting recognition or likes or even dislikes on the things that yep. you put out there. What are your thoughts on social media? Social media is basically... Um, If your photography is like a plant, social media is like a herd of goats. And goats are like super funny, but you have to be aware of the fact that they kind of tend to destroy stuff if you let them. So I've grown up on the internet. Like I started blogging when I was like in 97, I think. And being a woman on the internet means like I have more dick pictures than like um, how do you call them? Like a doctor. Like I've received like my fair amount of trolls over the course of the year. And some of those became my friends because not only I feed the trolls, I actually give them a place to stay. And (laughs) yeah, but at the same time, it's an amazing resource. Like I would never be a professional photographer if it wasn't for the internet and social media. Why? Why do you say that? Because, I mean, I'm a woman, like, living in Bassano del Grappa, which is a very small town. And then before the internet, I would only be working with, like, local people around here. And if I was really, really good, with people, like, 50 miles from here. And because of the internet, I started working with people all over Italy first and then internationally. And that's the way... It goes and you're able to communicate with people who are completely out of your league and sometimes they just answer you back. Okay, yeah, I do, I get that. But when I look at your social media profiles now, I mean, if I look at your Facebook page, you haven't updated that. I guess that's a week or two for that one. Your blog hasn't been updated in almost a year. So is it because now you don't need it? You don't use it? Paper moustache, you mean? Or Saralando? Because it's two different entities 
online. Oh, okay. So you, are you still using social media a lot today for your business? Yeah, I mean, I still do, but with photography, people know me as Sara Lando, not as Paper Moustache. And social media, when it comes to Paper Moustache, it's supposed to be Ali's job and it's, it sucks as that. <laughs> and he's, he's looking at me, he's giving me the sky right now. Okay, if I go to Sara Lando to your blog, the last post there was 30th of March, oh, yeah. 2015. Blog's dead, yeah. Blog's dead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I found that to me, blogging doesn't make much sense as it used to be. I guess it depends on, in a way, my clients have changed. And I realized that most of the people following me through the blog were other photographers. And I still teach. So I guess in a way, they still are part of my client base for workshops and stuff. But most of my work as a photographer is not, you know, workshops or selling books or DVDs or tutorials and stuff like that. And in a way, most of the people will follow you on Facebook anyway, rather than going to your blog. It's just the way it works now, I guess. So if you're talking to a new photographer in your teaching role, or someone relatively new to the business, would you encourage them to blog? If it works for, I mean, it depends on who you're talking to. I mean, the problem, I don't believe in huge social media strategies because then if you spend way more time thinking about social media than taking photos I'm not super sure you're still a photographer like if all you care about is how many people follow you on social media and you know how many friends you have and how engaged they are but then if they don't buy what you're selling I mean it's it's interesting. I guess it's rewarding and it's a nice stroke for your ego, but I'd rather have clients than followers, I guess. I get that. I do. I get that. So Facebook, that's obviously working for you at the moment. Yeah, I use basically, I'm on everything and I'm on everything with a different name. Like everything people say on how to do social media correctly, I don't. So I, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat mainly. And the thing is, I use them in different ways, I guess. It's different people. And I don't have a bazillion followers. But the weird thing is that the followers I have are usually like super loyal. Like some of them have been following me since the early 2000s. Or I'd rather have, you know, an editor following me rather than... 100 photographers. Okay, all right. So most of your followers, the feeling that you get is they are actual clients or potential clients. Not really. Some of them just interesting people that I get inspiration from. And that's the thing. I don't see everybody as a potential client. I would rather use social media to share stuff that I think it's interesting. And if something comes out of that, that's great. But to me, it's never been like a place where I try to close a deal or find clients and stuff like that. They come from there anyway, but I've never actively thought about it in a marketing sort of way. Okay. So how early into a project will you actually start sharing things on Snapchat or Facebook, you know, showing, showing your progress? Well, it depends. If it's something, it's really dear to me, not until it's finished. Because then I don't want to bring, you know, people into it too early. But if it's just stuff I'm working on or experimenting with, Snapchat is probably where it goes the most. Just because it disappears after 24 hours. So 
I absolutely love that. I love that. It leaves no trace. And then sometimes probably something on Facebook here and there, but I don't like to invest too many resources on, you know, behind the scenes and stuff like that. I want to ask you about your inspiration and how you get started with these projects and how many projects you're running at the same time. Before I ask you that, I've got to say a big thank you to my sponsor for today's show, The Image Salon. They are image editors. They will work with you one-on-one to get the look that you're after with your photography. They'll process your files the way you want them to be processed and they do it easily and seamlessly. It doesn't matter where you are in the world. It doesn't matter how many jobs you send them or how few. They will look after you one-on-one. I don't know, Sarah, do you do any outsourcing at all? Not really. No, I'm a one-woman band, I guess. Let's say I said to you, you can go and use the Image Salon and they're going to look after all your commercial clients for the next three months. Would that be a big help? Probably, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Probably, yes. I'll have to check that out. Would you trust someone to work on your own images? I would probably follow them really, really closely for a while to make sure that they do the job the way I want that to be done. And probably after a while, if they keep delivering amazing job consistently, absolutely. Cool. If I told you the image salon actually will assign you one editor, one editor only, and they'll work with you only to get the look that you want and they'll keep working on that until they get the look that you're after. Yeah, yeah. Probably, yes. Sound good? Yes. Especially like for bigger commercial jobs that have like a bazillion photos and are just super boring to do post-production on. Like the headshot job in Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah, so I imagine that. I mean, that's the perfect example. You come back from there, you upload your files to the image salon or your, your smart previews. They would go to work and do the editing while you go and do and go and work on your own personal projects. That's what they're there for. So for you, the listener, if you want to check these guys out, you can send five images to them totally free. They'll work on those in their different formats and they'll get them back to you so you can give them a free trial, see what they're like. They're over at theimagesalon.com. Really easy to get started. You can get your first images turned around in a day or two and test them out. Nice. I'd probably try that, actually. I would love it if you did. That would be fantastic. And I'd love to hear how it goes as well. Sure. Tell me about your inspiration. Where does it come from? It comes from everywhere, I guess. I think most people assume inspiration is somewhat of a passive process when you just stay there and it washes over you or something like that. While in my experience, it's more of an active process. And the example I use is that for most people, inspiration is like walking through the woods at night and it's just snowed and everything is perfect. And then you see like a white deer and it crosses like your eyes meet and then it's somewhat of a religious experience. While in my experience, it's more like you have to wake up at 4 a.m. and it's raining and it's cold because you have to go chase the deer. And then you spend a couple of hours like following its track and then you find the deer. You shoot like a single arrow and you hit that, but he's not dead. And then you have to follow the tracks of blood to go get the deer and kill it with your own bare hands and then drag the carcass all the way back home. Like it's work. <laughs> so, that doesn't... <laughs> and, but it is like, and then people just look at the end result and they say, oh, I would love to walk through the woods and hunt deers. And it's like, yeah, yeah, kind of. And to me, like inspiration comes from everywhere, especially not photography. 
I guess if you only look at photos for inspiration, it's easy to become redundant and to end up talking with someone else's voice. I look at art, like movies, music, books, graphic novels, and conversation. Like I try to surround myself with interesting people. Mm-hmm. When you say graphic novels, are you talking about novels with pictures? It's basically comic books, but instead of being like serialized, like Spider-Man, it's like a novel, like it's a story, but it's told in uh, like a comic book. Have you got an example of one that you like or love in English? Yeah, uh, a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably one of my favorite graphic novel might be Mr. Punch. It's written by Neil Gaiman and illustrated by Dave McKean amazing artist. Mr. Punch? Yeah, it's probably the English title. It's longer than that. Let me check for that. It's a tragical comedy or comical tragedy of Mr. Punch. Fantastic. I'll add links to that in the show notes so people can check that out. Yeah. I can actually give you a list of graphic novels that I think people should actually read. Fantastic. Okay, I'll go and grab that off you when we finish talking and I can add those to the show notes. Sure. So you, know, you talked about that deer analogy. I love that. Now, a lot of the discussion that I've heard and I've had with other photographers on the podcast, I guess he's more related to following or taking inspiration from other photographers. And the big argument I've heard is, should you be following the old masters or should you be following more modern photographers and taking inspiration from them? Why not both? Like, <laughs> like why not both? Like, why not everyone that speaks to you and people who do not speak to you The thing is, expose yourself to different works. And if you don't like them, spend some time trying to understand why you don't like them. And if you like them, try to understand why you like them. What do you like about them? And take notes and start being active in your inspiration. It's not just about, you know, going on Pinterest and like putting stuff on a board. So you will literally take notes. If you find something that you like, you're trying to decipher why. Yeah, because how on earth are you going to be able to replicate that particular thing unless you understand it? So is it okay to replicate something that you've taken inspiration from? You should try it as an exercise and you should always put that like, in your notes. Like I would never replicate someone else's work without giving credit. If you are inspired by someone, give credit to it. It's been done, like it's something people do all the time. Have you done that? Have you done that yourself? Yeah, absolutely. There's a specific mixed media piece that it's basically a replica of a Francesca Woodman photo. The pose is the same and there's flower, but you can actually see that it's not going to ever be the same. But of course, I'm going to tell that it's taken after that specific photo. Okay. And will you do the same if the photographer, you know, is either a modern photographer or an old deceased photographer, an old master? Yeah. Either way, will you give them credit? Yes. Why shouldn't I? It's the same, like, if you're writing an essay and you're quoting someone else's words, wouldn't you put that into quotes? Yes. Okay, but the follow-up question then is, let's say you take inspiration from two or three photographers. I mean, when do you stop crediting the photographer that you've taken inspiration from? And when does it become yours? When you take the two images and you put them next to each other and the reference is not obvious. And again, it comes down to being inspired by enough work that you're not just taking something and trying to replicate it. It goes somewhere else. Like what I would do, I might 
get inspired by a photo, but then I take that concept and I take it somewhere else. I'm not just going to replicate what I see because what's the use in that? So have you got an example of your work, something that you've produced, where you've taken inspiration from Mr. Punch? Well, I guess it's more, and not Mr. Punch specifically, but I guess some of my mixed media aesthetic, it's probably has a lot to do with Dave McKean. The way he uses masks, for example, it comes from, well, partly it comes from me being grown up next to Venice. So masks has always been like a big thing in my life. But the way he uses them and the kind of aesthetic of mood that some of his work has, I can see that in my work. But it's not going to be just a replica of something he has done. I would not do that. So you can feel there's parts of it in your work, but it's not a copy. Yeah, it's the same way you would take, you know, several pop artists and you would say that's pop or several jazz pieces and you would recognize those as like the same stuff. But you would not or sometimes you might have a cover. So it's the same song, but it's sung with a different voice. And like, it's not interesting. Like if you think about Jolene by Dolly Parton and Jolene by The White Stripes, it's the same song, but it's not. Or Hurt by Nine Inch Nails and, you know, Johnny Cash. Yeah, but staying with Jolene, I mean, you hear the, the version today, it's still Dolly Parton's song. I know it's different. Yeah, but The White Stripes never said it's not. That's the thing. Like, you give credit, but it becomes a different piece of work. Okay. All right, so let's take your work, for example. Let's say with that example, you said you could see the aesthetic from, say, the Mr. Punch or that style of the graphic novels. So you would obviously, you would know yourself that that's where your inspiration has come from. But if I see that as a, as a new viewer of your work, I probably don't see that reference. And that's not a problem. I mean, you don't have to explain everything you do, but if it's inspired by something, I will put the credit to it. Just because, first of all, I will give you the possibility to look at something that I find amazing. And then it's just the right thing to do. How many projects do you have running at one time? Usually three or four at least. And do you allocate, like if you have your Fridays to work on personal work, you know, will it be every third Friday on every third project? Well, it depends sometimes. For example, I'm doing a project on my parents right now. And so it also depends on their schedule and when they are free to shoot or stuff like that. So I have to accommodate other people into that. But yeah, I will allocate time for different projects in different times. And you always set yourself deadlines? Yeah, some are looser than others. But yes, otherwise I'm never done. Like if I, unless I have a deadline, I'm never able to say, okay, I'm finished. There's always something that I could have done better or something that I could add. And so at some point I have to say, okay, that's it. I'm done. Let's move on to something else. Okay, so is that a time constraint or is that when you've reached a look that you're actually going for at the beginning? It's both, actually. I think if you don't give yourself a time constraint, it ends up becoming like these infinite projects that's never going to be done because there's always something more important. There's always something more you know, urgent that you're going to have to do. For this inspiration, let's say you're listening to music, you're reading these these different styles of books, you're seeing photographers, you know, you're seeing art when you're out and about mm -hmm. and you get an idea. Mm -hmm. What happens with that idea? What's the first thing you do? I take a note, absolutely. I always have like a notebook and a pen with me at all times 
because everything you don't write down is going to disappear forever. The first door you go through, it's like, I had thought of something, but I don't remember it now. So you think you will remember it. You will not. So like grab your phone, take a note, whatever. I have like the weirdest notes in my phone sometimes that I leave myself messages when I wake up in the middle of the night. And then the next morning I will find like notes next to me. Uh, and sometimes I have to decipher them. <laughs> yeah. So if I flick through your notebook or your phone now, how many ideas for projects will I find? Hundreds. Hundreds? Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The more you start getting ideas, the more you get ideas. It's a muscle. And most of them are shit. Like, let's be clear about this. <laughs> like, it's really not something like, I don't have a hundred good ideas. I have a hundred ideas. And some of them become good ideas with some work. Well, who decides? It's you. You decide yeah, whether it's good or not. I do. It's, it's a physical sensation almost. It's like itching, like when it tingles. You kind of know. And if you don't know if something is good or not, probably you shouldn't be a photographer in the first place. <laughs> I love it. Can I ask you one last question? I know we're going to be running short of time here. Sure. I read in, and I know it's a year old, but I read in one of your workshop notes that you're encouraging other photographers that are attending to bring prints, that you're not going to be nice when you critique, you're going to be honest and upfront. How do you tell if a photo is a good photo or a bad photo? I will tell this is a bad photo. And then I will spend the time to explain why to ask questions. I mean, it's not just about being, I'm not just blunt, which I am. I mean, I'm, I'm a bitch when I do portfolio readings. I had people in tears, but I'm never cruel intentionally. It's not just about, you know, ripping someone, mm -hmm. yeah, a new one. It's about um, showing people. And for some reason, I found out I'm very good at reading people. And I usually am very good at understanding when they are bullshitting me or themselves. So I usually ask the questions that they don't want to hear. And then they are forced to understand that if what they're doing is not working, they have to do something about it. But I will spend time to try to understand what they were trying to say, who they were trying to say that to, and then we will go from that. Sarah, this has been an absolute pleasure for me. It really has. Where is the best place for the listener to check out more of your work and even see where they can get this book? All right. Probably the best place is, well, they can start from my website, which is www.saralando.com and my Facebook place, which is Saralando Photography, I guess. And on Snapchat, I'm Ship of Physios. What are you? Ship of Issues? Uh, ship of Physios. Right. I'll get you to send me the link for that because I'm not sure I understand that exactly. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I will send you a bunch of links. Perfect. Sarah, again, so much fun for me. A real pleasure. Thanks so much. And I've got to thank my sponsor once more, The Image Salon, over at theimagesalon.com for sponsoring this episode. Have a safe journey. Have fun doing the headshots. Thank you. And I look forward to talking to you again in the future. It's been a pleasure. Thanks. You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.